Well, today we end our series, uh, at least for now, on all those weird things that Christians say, those words that uh, confuse people and even ourselves. And uh, you've asked me to, to uh, speak on so many different words that we could probably do a whole uh, another series, uh, Weird Words 2 or something, and maybe we'll get to that, but today we're going to end it for now. And how fitting that at the end, we talk about end times and all the confusing words that go along with end times like apocalypse and eschatology and second coming and kingdom of God. Very confusing stuff, this end times business. But really, at its heart, it's rather simple. In the end, God wins. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that, that likes to know the ending to a book or a movie or a TV show. Uh, I have to confess that, that I want a happy ending. You know, why waste a whole movie if uh, it's going to end badly? Why, wait, why read a whole book if uh, in the end you're going to be disappointed? So I go to the last chapter first. <laughs> or, and this annoys Tammy to no end, if she's uh, watching a, n- a new show on, on Netflix, I quickly whip out my phone and I try to find somebody that's seen it already and, and written about it. And usually when they write about it, they'll have something like, spoiler alert, so that uh, you don't read it if you don't want to know the ending. But that's the reason that I'm on my phone. I want to know the ending. I want to know how it turns out. A lot of people do. Maybe not with... Uh, books or movies, but, but with the world. What is the ultimate fate of the world? In the clash of good versus evil, of wholeness versus brokenness, of God versus the spiritual forces of wickedness, who wins? What happens in the end? Well, let me remind you first about how it began. God created this world, created all of the creatures and the people, and it was good. There was no separation between humans and God. There was no sin and brokenness and death until the first people chose to follow evil and go their own way. You know that whole apple thing? Although it never really talks about an apple, but you know what I'm talking about. And the result was that sin and death and all of those terrible things came into this good creation. Even the ground was cursed. The world was broken and has been ever since. It's called the fall. We talked about that way back at the beginning. But God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins and to create a way to reconnect with God, to save us through grace, the free gift that we have by faith. And now, though, we may still have to go through all the suffering and trials of this messed up world, and ultimately die, yet we can join Christ in heaven. But that still leaves the world broken, and generation after generation of people suffering. Is that the world's fate? Are people condemned to forever suffer the effects of evil? Well, God provides the answer in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. It's the last 
book in the Bible. Revelation is a visit, a vision that God gives the Apostle John to encourage Christians, to help them through their trials and help them to know how it turns out in the end. And for several reasons, it uses lots of weird images and strange symbols like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Apocalypse is one of those weird words, and it actually literally means uh, revelation. It's a Greek word for revelation, for something that's revealed, something that's shown. I mean, because there's so many weird images in the book of Revelation, in the book of John's apocalypse, we sometimes think about apocalypse as, as this horrible thing, but in reality, it just means a revelation, something revealed. And what John reveals is a lot of weird stuff, like the four horsemen, like a seven-headed dragon, like the mark of the beast, 666, like uh, locusts with human faces and lion's teeth and scorpion's tails. I mean, it's all rather bizarre. How many of you have... Uh, I've read Revelation or joined a Bible study or tried, tried to figure out all that stuff. Any, any of you ever dug into Revelation a little bit? Well, then you know what I'm talking about. It's weird. It's strange. And all of those things kind of leave our heads spinning. And you also know that, that if you've done this more than once, that every author has a different take on it. Every author sees it in a little different way. But all of them agree on one thing. That the book of Revelation says, in the end, God wins. We win. Life wins. Good wins. God wins. So let's do like I like to do. And let's, uh, let's read the end of the book first. Let's jump to the very end. And we're going to look at some verses in the very last chapters of the Bible, in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And we're going to start with, with chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To this thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. In the end, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Everything is made new. Everything is back the way it was at the beginning. No tears, no death, no mourning, no sorrow, no pain. The old order of things, the brokenness that has existed <clears throat> from the fall onward 
That old order is gone. And God has no longer separated us in some distant heaven. God's dwelling place is now among the people. And then in the very last chapter, chapter 22, we hear this, this beautiful image. It's, it's almost like a, a new garden of Eden. Except it, it isn't just Adam and Eve and God hanging out together. It's all of us together with the Lord. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So there you have it. God's marvelous love story for the world has a happy ending. Now I wish people would skip to the end and, and read the ending first because then maybe they wouldn't get so worried about all the stuff that happens in between. And people do get worried. I mean, there are whole libraries worth of books written about eschatology. You may not know it, but eschatology is just a fancy way of saying uh, study of the end times, study of, of the end, study of last things. But people comb through the Bible and they spend their entire lifetime trying to figure out when Jesus will return and what the order of the tribulation and the millennial reign and the resurrection of the dead and last judgment and, and how that all fits together. Some even claim to have figured out what Jesus himself said he didn't know. The timing of his return in glory at the end. You've probably heard someone predict Christ's return, the second coming as it's called, the first coming is Christmas. Uh, but Christ's return, the second coming, uh, there's all, all sorts of books about when that is. The, the most recent one that I'm familiar with is is David Mead's book, Planet X, The 2017 Arrival. Now, of course, Jesus didn't arrive in 2017. And before that, there was the End Time Prophecies Organization that said it would happen in July of 2016. And it didn't. And there was the Y2K panic, remember that? Jerry Falwell said Y2K would fulfill Christian prophecy, but it turned out to be a dud. Like they all have. I remember receiving... This book, in the mail several decades ago, it's called Unborrowed Time. The Bible dates of the 70th week of Daniel, Armageddon, and the millennium. And somebody spent a lot of money to mail these books to, to churches across the nation, warning us of impending doom. And of course, if if you read the end of the book, you know you don't have to be afraid because in the end God wins. But Edgar Wisenant, who, uh, who wrote this, wanted us to know that his biblical uh, calculations of the prophecy verified, quote, 
that World War III would start the next day, sunrise October 4th, 1988. Well, even though he was a, a NASA rocket engineer, uh, Edgar uh, got his calculations wrong because it didn't happen in October of 1988. Edgar writes, God always speaks of a day as a thousand years. Now, read the Bible and see if every reference to a day means a thousand years. If that were the case, when Jesus says he's going to be raised on the third day, we'd still have to wait another thousand years for Easter. But that's what, what Edgar did. <coughs> he wanted to know the exact timing. One of the original predictors of the end time, end time stuff was Baptist uh, lay preacher William Miller. No relation. But in 1831, he read Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, which reads, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And he did that same thing that, uh, that Edgar did, and he said, well, 2,300 days, well, that must mean 2,300 years. And he did his calculations. And then he also said, the sanctuary would be cleansed. What, what does that mean? Well, that must mean the return of Christ. And so he put those together, and he used them to convince 100,000 people that Jesus was going to return on October 22nd, 1844. And they were so confident in this prediction that many of them sold all of their possessions or gave it all away and went up on the hills to wait for Jesus to return so that they could join him in the air. And when that didn't happen, you can imagine how they felt. The historians call that the great disappointment. And I bet it was. Now I wish they would listen, had listened to Jesus rather than William Miller. Because Jesus says in, in Matthew 24, he says this, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and Son of Man is Jesus' way of referring to himself. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 1, says this then they gathered around him and asked him lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of israel and he said to them it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the father has set by his authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria to the ends of the earth after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back 
in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Christ will come again. We know that. But to speculate on specific times is a waste of time. Jesus may come tomorrow, or Jesus may come in a thousand years. Even so, we need to be ready, not by selling all of our stuff and going out on a hill and sitting there and waiting for him, but by living the life of righteousness and faith that he calls us to every day. Because you know, no matter when Jesus returns for the second coming, we're going to meet him within our lifetime. Because either he's going to come to us or we're going to go to him. Because we're all going to die and meet our Lord. So, don't waste the time trying to figure out the end times. Just remember what the message is. That in the end time, the Lord wins. And if you look at what Jesus preached about, he didn't go around preaching Armageddon, which is actually just a place, Armageddon, um, a mountain um, or a, a hill in Jerusalem. But he didn't go around preaching that kind of stuff. He preached the kingdom of God. He preached about a time when God's kingdom, God's reign would come and God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Mark's Gospel describes uh, Jesus' preaching in this way. Chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's good news. Sin and evil and death and all that doesn't win. God does. We do. The kingdom of God is near. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as we heard from Revelation in its end time prophecy, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed. God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. God's restoration of everything that has been messed up since the beginning, since the fall. That's how it ends. And it's good news. It's a happy ending for all creation. But it gets even better. I know, how could it get any better than that? But it gets even better. Because in the weird way that only God can work, we can have that happy ending right now. Even before all that wild stuff in Revelation. We can have it right now. God's reign can happen if we allow God to reign in our hearts. If we allow God to rule our hearts. Luke says, in, Jesus says in Luke, once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Also translated, because the kingdom of God is within you. Yes, God's kingdom is coming. Yes, there is a time 
when there'll be an end to the rebellion against the Lord, when what is broken is restored, when what is fallen is raised, when God will be right here with us. But God's reign, God's kingdom can come for us right now if we let him rule in our hearts. We don't have to wait till the end times. Every time we pray, your will, God, not mine, be done. Every time we turn away from our selfish sinfulness and, and say, not today, devil, I'm going to listen to God. Every time that, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, rather than filled with anger and resentment and bitterness, every time we bless an enemy, every time we, we bless the least of these, every time we raise our voices in praise and let the peace of Christ fill our hearts, the kingdom comes, at least for us. The rest of the world will have to wait till end times. But God can be your God right now. Your tears can be dried right now. This very moment. And that old broken order of things can pass away for you today. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. God, the simple things that that Jesus says are, are hard enough to understand. But visions of horsemen and dragons and locusts like in Revelation, that just boggles our mind. Lord, we know that this, this world from beginning to end is in your hands. You created it and you restore it. And in the end, evil doesn't win, but you do. And because you do, we do too. Lord, we're grateful for the assurance that brings us, but we're even more grateful that right now the kingdom of God can come near to us. Right now you can rule because you rule our hearts. You rule our lives. And you dwell with us and within us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for we are grateful. And Lord, we pray for, for those in this world who are living in fear and panic, those who are so stressed out because they're just worried about what's going to happen in the future. Lord, may they come to faith in you too. May they know that, that you're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the end is a happy ending because of your love. Amen.